0: Section 39 of the Broad Highway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Read by Ellen Preckle. The Broad Highway by Jeffrey Farnall. Chapter 35: How Black George Found Prudence in the Dawn. The chill of dawn was in the air when I awoke, and it was some few moments before with a rush I remembered why I was kneeling there beside Charmian's bed shivering i rose and walked up and down to reduce the stiffness in my limbs the fire was out and i had no mind to light it for i was in no mood to break my fast though the necessary things stood ready as her orderly hands had set them and the plates and cups and saucers twinkled at me from the little cupboard i had made to hold them a cupboard whose construction she had overlooked with a critical eye and i must needs remember how she had insisted on being permitted to drive in three nails with her own hand I could put my finger on those very nails! How she had tapped at those nails for fear of missing them! How beautiful she had looked in her coarse apron, with her sleeves rolled up over her round white arms! How womanly and sweet! Yet I had dared to think, had dared to call her a Messalina! Oh, that my tongue had withered, or ever I had coupled one so pure and noble with a creature so base and common! So thinking, I sighed and went out into the dawn, as i closed the door behind me its hollow slam struck me sharply and i called to mind how she had called it a bad and ill-fitting door and indeed so it was with dejected step and hanging head i made my way towards sissinghurst for since i was up i might as well work and there was much to be done and as i went i heard a distant clock chime four now when i reached the village the sun was beginning to rise and thus lifting up my eyes i beheld one standing before the bull a very tall man much bigger and greater than most a wild figure in the dawn, with matted hair and beard, clad in tattered clothes. Yet hair and beard gleamed a red gold where the light touched them, and there was but one man I knew so tall and so mighty as this. Wherefore I hurried toward him all unnoticed, for his eyes were raised to a certain latticed casement of the inn. And being come up, I reached out and touched this man upon the arm. "'George,' said I, and held out my hand. He turned swiftly, but seeing me started back a pace, staring. "george said i again oh george" but george only backed still further passing his hand once or twice across his eyes "peter said he at last speaking hardly above a whisper "but you'm dead peter dead i killed thee" "no" i answered "you didn't kill me" "george indeed i wish you had you came pretty near it but you didn't quite manage it and george i'm very desolate won't you shake hands with a desolate man if you can" believing that i have always been your friend and a true and loyal one then give me your hand if not if you think me still the despicable traitor you once did then let us go into the field yonder and if you can manage to knock me on the head for good and all this time why so much the better come what do you say without a word black george turned and led the way to a narrow lane a little distance beyond the bull and from the lane into a meadow Being come thither, I took off my coat and neckerchief, but this time I cast no look upon the world about me, and though indeed it was fair enough, but Black George stood half-turned from me, with his fists clenched and his broad shoulders heaving oddly. "'Peter,' said he, in his slow, heavy way, "'never clench your fist to me. I don't—I can't abide it. But, oh, man, Peter, how may I clasp hands with a chap as I've tried to kill? I can't do it, Peter.' "'But don't don't clench your fists agin me no more. "'I were jealous of ye from the first, you see. "'You beat me at thammer-throwin, "'and she took your part agin me, and, "'and then you be so taken in your ways, "'and I be so big and clumsy, "'so very slow and heavy. "'There beat't no chance betwixt us for a maid like Prue. "'She allus was different from the likes of me, "'and any last half an eye could see you as be a, a gentleman. "'Ah, and a good un, and so, Peter, and so.' "'I'd be goin' away, a soldier, p'raps. "'I shan't love the dear lass quite so much after her a bit, p'raps. "'It won't be so sharp-like, arter a bit. "'But what's to be is to be. "'I've larned wisdom, and you and she was made for each other, "'and meant for each other from the first. "'So don't go to clench your fist again me no more, Peter.' "'Never again, George,' said I. "'Unless,' he continued, as though struck by a bright idea, unless you are minded to have a whack at me if so be why take it peter and welcome you see i tried so hard to kill ye, so cruel ard peter and i thought i ad i thought twere for that as they took me and so i broke my way out of the lock-up and come to say good-bye to Prue's winder and then i were goin back to give myself up and let em hang me if they wanted to were you george yes here George turned to look at me, and looking, drooped his eyes, and fumbled with his hands, while up under his tanned skin there crept a painful burning crimson. "'Peter,' said he, "'Yes, George. I got some it more to tell some it as I never meant to tell a soul, when you was down, lying at my feet. Yes, George. I—I I kicked ee once. Did you, George? I—I I were mad, mad with rage and bloodlust. Oh, man, Peter, I kicked ee.' "'There,' said he, straightening his shoulders— Leastwise, I can look ye in the eye, now that be off my mind. And now, if so be you am wishful, to tuck your whack at me, let it be a un Peter. No, I shall never raise my hand to you again, George. Tis likely you be thinking me a poor sort of man, arter what what I just told ye. A coward? I think you're more of a man than ever, said I. Why, then, Peter, if you do that, here's my hand, if you'll take it, I bid ye good-bye. "'I'll take your hand and gladly, George, but not to wish you good-bye. "'It shall be rather to bid you welcome home again.' "'No!' he cried. "'No, I couldn't. "'I couldn't abide to see you and—' "'Prue married Peter. "'No, I couldn't abide it.' "'And you never will, George. "'Prue loves a stronger, a better man than I. "'And she has wept over him, George, and prayed over him, "'such tears and prayers as surely might win the blackest soul to heaven, "'and has said that she would marry that man. "'Ah!' even if he came back with fetter marks upon him even then she would marry him if he would only ask her oh peter cried george seizing my shoulders in a mighty grip and looking into my eyes with tears in his own oh man peter you has knocked me down and as i love for it be this true it is god's truth said i and look there's a sign to prove i'm no liar look and i pointed toward the bull george turned and i felt his fingers tighten suddenly for there in the open doorway of the inn, with the early glory of the morning all about her, stood Prue. As we watched, she began to cross the road toward the smithy, with laggard, step, and drooping head. Do you know where she's going, George? I can tell you. She's going to your smithy to pray for you. Do you hear? To pray for you. Come, and I seized his arm. No, Peter, no, I durst, I couldn't. But he suffered me to lead him forward nevertheless. Once he stopped and glanced round. But the village was asleep about us, so we presently came to the open door of the forge. And behold, Prue was kneeling before the anvil, with her face hidden in her arms and her slender body swaying slightly. But all at once, as if she felt him near her, she raised her head, and saw him, and sprang to her feet with a glad cry. And as she stood, George went to her, and knelt at her feet, and raising the hem of her gown, stooped and kissed it. Oh, my sweet maid, said he, oh, my sweet Prue, I be worthy, I have be- but she caught the great shaggy head to her bosom and stifled it there. And in her face was a radiance, a happiness beyond words, and the man's strong arms clung close about her. So I turned and left them in paradise together. Chapter 36. Which sympathizes with a brass jack, a brace of cutlasses, and diverse pots and pans. I found the ancient sunning himself in the porch before the inn as he waited for his breakfast— peter says he i be turple cold sometimes it comes a creepin on me all at once even if i would be sittin before a roarin fire or a baskin in this good warm zun a cold as reaches down to me poor old art grave chills i calls em, peter ah grave chills catches me by the art they do you see i be that old peter that old and wore out but you're a wonderful man for your age said i clasping the shrivelled hand in mine and very lusty and strong so strong as a bull i be peter he nodded readily but then even a bull gets old and wore out and these grave chills catches me oftener and oftener tis like as if the angel of death reached out and touched me just touched me with his finger soft like as much to say here be a poor old wore out as i shall be wantin soon well i be ready tis only the young or the fool who fears to die three score years and ten says the bible and i be years and years older than that oh i shan't be afeard to answer when i'm called peter here i be lord i'll say here i be thy poor old servant but oh peter if i could be sure that dear old rusty staple bein took first why then i'd go joyful joyful but why there be that old fool amos lord what a daughter an old fool he be and there be job and dutton they be comin to plague me peter i can feel it in me bones just reach me my snuff-box out of my ain pocket and you shall see me smite they Amalekite's ip and thigh.' "'Gaffer,' began old Amos, saluting with his usual grin as he came up, "'we be wishful to ye a question. "'We be wishful to know where be black jarge, "'which you haven't gone to fetch him, "'and bring him home again. "'Them was you words.' "'Ah,' nodded Job, "'them was your very words. "'Bring him home again, says you.' "'But you didn't bring him home,' continued old Amos, "'leastwise not in the cart where you dutton here. "'James Dutton, see you come driving home.' But he didn't see no jarge along wi ye no not so much as you could shake a stick at you might say speak up james dutton that you was a leanin over your front gate as gaffer came drivin home wasn't you and you see gaffer plain as plain didn't you which me wishin no offence and no one objectin I did began the apology perspiring profusely as usual but I takes the liberty to say as it were a spade and not a gate leastways but you didn't see no sign of jarge did you demanded old amos as you might say neither I'd nor air of him speak up james duckton which since you axes me i makes so bold as to answer and very glad i'm sure no though as to I'd or air i aren't wishin' to swear to me not being near enough which could only be expected and very much obliged i'm sure you see gaffer pursued amos if you didn't bring jarge back with you which you said you would the question we axes is where be jarge we're, nodded job gloomily here the ancient was evidently at a loss to cover which he took a vast pinch of snuff i'll be wheatin' know as he bein't pining away in a dungeon cell irons on his legs strapped in a straight jacket and old Amos stopped open-mouthed and staring for out from the gloom of the smithy issued black jarge himself with prue upon his arm the ancient stared also but dissembling his vast surprise he dealt the lid of his snuff-box two loud triumphant knocks "'Peter?' said he, rising stiffly. "'Peter, lad, I were beginning to think "'as George were never coming in to breakfast at all. "'I've waited and waited till I be so ravenous as a lion and tiger. "'But ere he be at last, Peter, ere he be. "'So let's go in and eat some "'Saying which, he turned his back upon his discomfited tormentors "'and led me into the kitchen of the inn. "'And there were the white-capped maids, "'setting forth such a breakfast as only such a kitchen could produce. "'And presently there was Prue herself, with george hanging back something shamefaced till the ancient had hobbled forward to give him welcome and there was honest simon all wonderment and hearty greeting and last but by no means least there were the battered cutlasses the brass jack and the glittering pots and pans glittering and gleaming and twinkling a greeting likewise with all their might ah but they little guessed why prue's eyes were so shy and sweet or why the colour came and went in her pretty cheeks little they guessed why this gold-haired giant trod so lightly and held his tall head so very high little they dreamed of the situation as yet had they done so surely they must one and all have fallen upon that curly golden head and buried it beneath their gleaming glittering twinkling jealousy and what a meal was that with those deft white-capped maids to wait upon our wants and with prudence hovering here and there to see that all were duly served and refusing to sit down until george's great arm A very gentle arm for one so strong and big, drew her down beside him. Guess truly what a meal that was, and how the ancient chuckled and dug me with one bony elbow, and George with the other, and chuckled again till he choked and choked, till he gasped and gasped, till he had us all on our feet, and then demanded indignantly why we couldn't let him enjoy himself in peace. And now, when the meal was nearly over, he suddenly took it into his head that Prue didn't love George as she should, and as he deserved to be and nothing would content him but that she must kiss him then and there and not on the forehead mind nor on the cheek but on the place as god made for it-the mouth my lass and now who so shy and blushing as prue and who so nervous for her sake as black george very evidently clasping her hand under the table and bidding her never mind as he was content and never to put herself out over such as him whereupon mistress prue must needs turn and taking his head between her hands kissed him not once or twice, but three times, and upon, the place God made for it, the mouth. O gleaming cutlasses! O great brass jack and glittering pots and pans! Can ye any longer gleam and glitter and twinkle in doubt? Alas, I trow not! Therefore it is only natural and to be expected that beneath your outward polish lurk black and bitter feelings against this curly-headed giant, and a bloodthirsty desire for vengeance. If so, then one and all of you have, at least, the good feeling not to show it, a behavior worthy of gentlemen what do i say of gentlemen fie rather let it be said of pots and pans and of which sympathizes with a brass jack a brace of cutlasses and divers pots and pans